This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. And hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Most of the changes to the relationship between the U.S. and Cuba developed under President Obama have been pulled back by the Trump administration. Most individual visits are no longer allowed unless part of a group for a specific reason. Also, a long list of hotels, restaurants, stores, and other businesses are off limits because they are seen as benefiting the Cuban government, specifically its security services. So the promise of two years appears to be gone, at least for right now. To take a look at what has occurred in the last several days and the impact, we welcome in Gustavo Arnavat, who is a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He is also a former senior official in the Obama administration. And also joining us, John Kavalik, who is president of the U.S.-Cuba Trade and Economic Council, Incorporated. Gustavo, it's always great to have you back with us. John, great to have you back with us as well. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, your reaction to this move? John, I'll start with you. The Trump administration regulations were designed to create anxiety. They did that. It's designed to discourage travelers from traveling, businesses from engaging in business. And yesterday they were successful. They continued a series of, uh, of optics that will be impactful. The question is, how impactful? We'll get into those exactly in a second with you, John. Gustavo, what was your reaction? Yeah, no, I agree with with John. Uh, This was driven primarily by a return to formulating U.S. foreign policy towards Cuba based primarily on domestic political uh, considerations. Um, But I think it's important to keep in mind that the new normal uh, is not uh, December uh, December 13th, 2014. uh, Sorry, December 16th. In other words, the, the new Obama policy went into was announced on the 17th of December uh, 2014, yeah. um, and there's a lot that has not been rolled back. So I think the new normal uh, is actually quite positive when you compare it to the way things were before the Obama policy was announced. So, John, take us through the, the, the changes and uh, the impact you think that they will have. The primary changes are going to impact who can visit Cuba and how they can visit So the new regulations revert to requiring group travel as opposed to individual travel for primarily what's called people-to-people programs. And that will generally impact the airlines because the greatest percentage increase during the last two years has been individual travelers on the airlines. The cruise lines will benefit because they do groups very well. And on the commercial side, the Trump administration has developed a list of about 180 entities in Cuba that are deemed to be affiliated, controlled by the Cuban military. And those entities, you were grandfathered in if you were already dealing with them, but from this point forward, you're going to be prohibited, restricted from dealing with them. However, the list created by the State Department 
has created some controversy already, which isn't surprising in that any time OFAC regulations are rolled out, there's always a period where everyone impacted comes back to the Treasury Department, back to the Commerce Department, back to the State Department and says, hey, maybe you didn't think this through, hey. they'll appeal, etc. But we have a, you know, a few examples where one hotel that is rather well-known in Old Havana, Santa Isabel, a lot of celebrities stayed there, it's controlled by Habaguan X, it's off the list. And then we also have Tropicola, which is Cuba's version of Coca-Cola. We have two rum brands uh, that are considered to be, one of them is considered to be very good. And what we're not unsure, what we're uncertain about is, does that mean that a U.S. companies can't deal with these companies, or does it mean a visitor in Cuba can't buy a Tropicana or Tropicola and can't buy these particular rum uh, products? So there's still a lot that needs to be flushed out. Uh, then let me ask you this then when you're looking at a, a lot of these entities that have been uh, have been put on this list by the uh, by the Trump administration uh, when you look grand scope of Cuba right now how much still is kind of controlled by the Cuban government and by the military John well controlled by the Cuban government the vast majority of economic activity remains under the authority of the Cuban government in, in some degree. Right. In terms of the Cuban military, uh, while they na- may not have everything, what they do have is consequential. And you know, they do have this Gaesa entity that has influence, control of, whether it's airports or ports or the, some of the better hotels, some of the better areas. And what the Trump administration is trying to do is say we don't want a military-controlled government 93 miles south of Key West, Florida. And it's shrewd because no U.S. CEO wants to come out, whether on your program or on CNBC, and say, no, 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 we prefer to operate with the military. Right, uh, yeah. So it, you know, it, it's, it's putting companies in a, in a difficult place, but there still is so much that we don't know about these regulations. Well, Gustavo, in the time that uh, we have talked over the last couple of years, as, as this has all kind of played out, uh, especially within the last, uh, you know, uh, 12 months or so, how much personal uh, tourism was seen in Cuba? Because there, obviously there have been various reports that the airlines were very much interested once the uh, they had the ability to fly there, but then we saw airlines kind of pulling back, seemingly because there wasn't as much interest as, as first believed. Right. So before I answer that question, let me just say that I think it's an important distinction, I think, that John was alluding to between military-owned or controlled okay. and state-owned or controlled. Uh, the Trump administration clu- you know, clearly does not want U.S. companies uh, or entities uh, to be doing business with with military controlled right. uh, entities, uh, and I think a message is being sent to the Cubans that perhaps uh, U.S. would be more amenable to trading with them um, if they would restructure their ownership um, uh, stakes in companies uh, in order to allow for um, for the for the military to own fewer of these. Uh, I'm not sure that the, the Cuban government is interested in doing that, right. but at least that, that possibility is open. As far as the personal travel is concerned, well, first let's be clear about something. Tourism per se has been illegal uh, under U.S. law since at least the year 2000. Right. Um, what, what, uh, as John said, what's being eliminated is the category of people-to-people travel, which the Trump administration uh, felt was the most abused. So the people would say, yes, I'm going to Cuba to meet with Cuban people, 
and, and having significant contacts with them, but instead they would just simply go to the beach uh, and, hang, and, you know, hang out. And that's what they wanted to, to, to eliminate. I do think that uh, you know, the airlines were um, bidding into uh, a lot of uncertainty uh, a year and a half ago or so when they were trying to get uh, the, um, you know, the, the concessions. Uh, and so I think that uh, in, in, in their defense, I think they tried to uh, get as many um, you know, concessions, licenses as possible, um, but then the market would dictate uh, you know, w- you know, whether or not that was sensible or not. John, what has been the reaction you've heard to this move by uh, by the Trump administration in, in the last few days, whether it be from uh, from uh, coming from Cuba itself or from Cuban Americans here in the U.S.? Well, from you know, from those that we interact with, you know, in Cuba, there's not a lot of happiness with it. Uh, you know, there's frustration in that you know, many of those who are either self-employed or are in cooperatives that somewhat operate um, with self-direction that dealt with U.S. companies, uh, they're feeling as, as though they're, they're hostages to, to a greater political good, and they don't see how it helps them. Uh, they're concerned that with the transition and succession from Raul Castro to Vice President Canal scheduled for the 26th of February of next year, or 24th or 26th, um, that that's going to be further delay, and that they've seen this year all but evaporate in terms of opportunity. From the 20th of January, President Trump's elected. Then you have the health issues with the diplomats. You have the issues with Venezuela not being able to provide the support they did, low commodity prices, high import prices, and then you have the weather, the hurricanes and that. So they've, they've gotten pretty much hammered. And traditionally, the Cuban government response is, see, the U.S. is at it again. Now we have to hunker down. We may have to give up some of what we, we got. Uh, and then in the United States, individuals of Cuban descent, you know, they, they tend to continue to not be a monolithic group. Those with parents and grandparents who are alive, who were in Cuba before the revolution, during the revolution, tend to respect their parents, and, and they'll wait for their parents and grandparents to die before they, they take any positions that are aggressively um, opposed to them. But most people are just tired. Uh, you know, Cuba is... Um, if, I, if I can just go back for a moment, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's important to focus on culpability, mm-hmm. and that is one of the only reasons that President Trump is able to do what he is doing is because of what the Obama administration and the Castro administration didn't do during the period from December 17 through 20 January 17. The Obama administration could have allowed more regulatory changes, specifically allowing direct correspondent banking, allowing more than charcoal and coffee to be imported, and the Cuban government could have done more to allow the Obama administration initiatives, which basically they didn't. So, you know, it, while people are lamenting what President Trump has done, I think it's important to remember how we got here, and we got here, and it's tragic how we got here, because when people could have done something, they chose not to. And what impact would it, would that have had if, if there had been, you know, a, a further movement down the road by both sides? Today, there are 52 U.S. companies that have a presence in Cuba. Almost all of them have to do with 
either moving people into Cuba, providing services to them while they're there. You have John Deere and Caterpillar announced the distribution center. You have General Electric working on a, a small power operation. But you don't have companies with offices there. You don't have law firms with offices there. You don't have manufacturing. You don't have assembly. You don't have retail. You don't have food service. Uh, if the Cuban government had allowed U.S. companies to sell products directly to the self-employed, you would have had such a, a root system that the Trump administration would have found it difficult to move against it because it would have been substantial and impactful. As it is today, you look, the shock value is those 52 companies that are there yeah. have total gross annual revenues, global revenues of $1 trillion. These are not small, small players. But yet, most of them, if they're doing anything in Cuba, they won't issue a media release. They don't want to talk about it. And that's tragic. Well, I guess, Gustav, it's, it's one of the things that we discussed a while back, and maybe not necessarily with these companies, but there was, as this process was developing, there was the hesitancy of fully investing in Cuba because you didn't know what could potentially be coming down the road. And, and, and seemingly, maybe this wasn't what was seen you know, back as, as President Obama and the Cuban government were working this out, but seemingly now... This is here, and, and a lot of these companies have to deal with this. Right. So, right, there's always political uncertainty anytime you're a U.S. company and you're doing business outside of the United States. Uh, of course, there's also political risk in the United States, and that is the change in administration. I don't want to sound overly optimistic, but I think the concern, the major argument for, and I, by the way, I agree with John entirely that the Cubans could have been uh, much more creative, could have been much you know, faster, could have been. Uh, much more giving uh, in entering into agreements with the United States. I think the biggest concern prior to when the president announces the new policy back in June uh, in, uh, in Miami uh, was that uh, because there was su such little skin in the game, if you will, it would be relatively easy uh, to break off entirely a commercial relationship between the United States and Cuba. But that did not happen. Uh, any, again, the only, the, the, the only restriction, although it's a major restriction, is that you cannot do business with a military-controlled or intelligence service-controlled company. Everything else remains in place. There are restrictions, yes, on individual travel. This is true. But one of the categories that was opened up under Obama uh, was professional, uh, professional attendance at professional meetings. Uh, attorneys, others can go to Cuba to negotiate potential deals with the Cuban government. Again, not the military, but the Cuban government. Uh, without any problems. Before, you could only go if the purpose of, of, of doing so was basically uh, to write a paper uh, for publication, etc., in other words, for non-commercial uh, purposes. Uh, so I think that U.S. companies um, you know, should take a, a breather, step back, and say, you know, the new normal is not what it was before. Um, now, of course, there's a lot of uncertainty. As John says, there is going to be a political transition in Cuba in February of next year, Nobody knows what's going to happen, who's going to be the leader. There's been speculation, et cetera, right. but no, no one knows. Um, but I think that for, for those of us who were very concerned um, before June of this year, the Trump administration was going to totally reverse what Obama did. I think we're, you know, we're breathing a bit of a sigh of relief. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree that there, there's been a tremendous amount of hysteria uh, during the last 24 hours, much of it manufactured by groups in Washington who, during the Obama administration, ran all over the country saying that 
how important they were and how big connections they had and they ran in the Cuban government circles and right. we've got the connections and we're going to do all this stuff and you know now they're saying oh the sky's falling down oh this is terrible so the Russians are coming the Russians are coming um, you know, they were part of the reason that we're here uh, because they didn't do what they said they were going to do or that they could do uh, and when when we we look now at and what, actually, what Gustavo said, the, the Trump administration has grandfathered many U.S. companies that are already engaged with Cuban military entities, specifically airlines and cruise lines and the hotel and Marriott, for example. So it's, um, it's not that tremendously impactful. Um, you know, it's, it's got a political optic. It creates yeah. anxiety. But... You know, is, is, is any U.S. company being required to stop doing what they were doing? And the answer is no. Well, let me ask you this, John. You mentioned about the uh, the, the shift uh, in control in the government with a new president coming on. Uh, what is the expectation for Cuba once that, that shift actually occurs? I think Gustavo and I could probably write the speech, would be, <laughs> which, is, which is going to be... Um, uh, no one should think that just because Raul or Fidel is dead and Raul is retired that uh, the revolution has died. That uh, even though Raul begged us to let him retire, we have implored him to stay on as first secretary of the Communist Party. He has agreed to do that so that he can help guide us through these treacherous waters. Now that Mr. Trump is in the White House, the revolution has to be uh, be be a greater part of society, and we're going to have to sacrifice some more. Uh, I think Vice President Canal is you know, it's going to be staying the course as much as he can. The challenge for him is his last name isn't Castro. And yeah. when Fidel died, the big C died. Raul, you know, it wasn't isn't Fidel. And so Cuba is slowly gaining its proper place within the US and the global political discourse. It's a 800-mile-long archipelago of 11.3 million people, uh, and, you, and and it's sort of beginning to find its its normal place. But Vice President Canal, I think, is going to um, is going to lay down that we're not changing. Don't get your hopes up. The revolution continues. Yeah, no, I agree. Whoever takes over um, is going to be spending a lot of time um, underscoring, um, you know, his or her revolutionary bona fides. There's no question about that. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in with a comment or a question. 844-942-7866. We're joined on the phone by John Kovolik, who is president of the U.S.-Cuba Trade and Economic Council, Incorporated. Also, Gustavo Arnavat, senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney 21. John, I'd be interested also to get your opinion on, if you go back a, a few months, there were these stories coming out of Cuba of uh, people that were uh, at the uh, the U.S. Embassy there that were suffering through uh, medical issues. And, and I'd be interested if, if there is any bit of that that is kind of playing into this potential decision uh, by the White House to do this. The health issues that have impacted U.S. diplomats have um, have been just a gift to 
the five members of U.S. Congress who generally have, have sought uh, to reverse or at least slow down much of what the Obama administration did, uh, for those within the Trump administration who wanted to be able to do something, whether for their own ideological reasons or to satisfy those members of Congress, this was you know, the perfect timing because the administration could make its announcement in June. And you know, a lot of people don't know, but the, the, the health issues began at the end of the Obama administration, and the Trump administration removed two diplomats from the Cuban embassy in Washington prior to the speech and never yeah. told anyone about it. Then you have the speech, and then you have the health issues coming out. So, in essence, they were able to begin to accomplish some of their goals without even issuing the regulations, uh, because they were able to say, you know, why do you want to deal with this place? And then, of course, the travel warning. Uh, that, though, the, the success of the travel warning by the State Department was always going to depend upon what the insurance companies did. Right. And if the insurance companies said they weren't, they weren't going to support the airlines and the cruise lines and the tour operators and travel agencies, it'd be over. Well, they didn't. They left it alone. So um, uh, the, the health issue's been helpful for the Trump administration. And I think, unfortunately, the Cubans have handled it poorly. The Trump administration has handled it poorly. Gustavo? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, it's a real mystery um, as to, you know, what, what happened. Uh, experts, the, the best experts, I'm told, have been uh, examining uh, the, the evidence, the symptoms, et cetera. Uh, no one thinks that uh, a weapon has been invented by man yeah. that can cause all of those, you know, same uh, symptoms. In any event, different people have different symptoms, et cetera. The Cubans uh, are now claiming that uh, nothing really has happened. They're asking for evidence. They want to see um, the medical records, et cetera, and the U.S. government, I think, is refusing to do that. Um, but um, you know, all of this, uh, all this, uh, uh, just produces more and more uh, friction between the two governments. And as John says, it's to the benefit of those who want to keep the U.S. Uh, as far away from Cuba as possible. And, and is it your expectation that we won't see a, a meaningful move to to remove the embargo anytime soon, Gustavo? Well, the president. Um, I guess I have two answers. Uh, one is the president made it very clear. Uh, towards the end of the campaign, not, not, the, not a few months before the, the election itself, but towards the end of the campaign, and then in Miami, um, that the sanctions, uh, the embargo would not be lifted until, and then, you know, he had a, a number of different things that basically, um, uh, you know, follow what Helms Burton says. So, right. you know, free and open elections, uh, you know, freedom, uh, human rights, and, and, and those kinds of things. Uh, so that's one answer. The other answer is that, um, as we know, the president... Uh, is uh, very proud of his uh, negotiating skills, uh, and you know he talks about his ability to to reach a better deal. Uh, so it's it's you know it's possible that if the Cubans, I think it's unlikely, but if possible, if the Cubans were to think about well, you know what can we do to offer to President Trump uh, that would um, make him feel satisfied that he's able to get something out of us? Perhaps there's a way forward. John. I, I tend to think that you know, there will be no legislative uh, successes. Uh, the last three years, the members of the House and Senate who have attempted Cuba-related legislation have failed miserably. Uh, and there are 
numerous reasons. One primarily is not a single company that sells food products or agricultural products to Cuba has gone public and said, we will offer payment terms, we will offer financing to Cuba if permitted to do so, because right now food and ag sales must be paid for cash in advance. Right. But the, the largest bank in the U.S. that focuses on ag exports doesn't want to do it, so that's a problem. And then with the retirement of Jeff Flake, I think people are on crack if they think that the United States Senate, the United States House, and President Trump are going to give Senator Flake a going-away gift by allowing the relationship between the U.S. and Cuba to grow closer. What about the what about the issue, John, of migration? Because that's one that obviously a lot of people, uh, especially Cuban Americans, are very interested in, uh, and obviously that uh, that's going to be impacted by this as well. Yeah, that's that's an issue I know less about, yeah. and Gustavo knows a lot more about. Okay, Gustavo, you talking about the uh, the, the new changes on the, on the yes. Cuban law? Yeah. So, so I think that the Cuban government is doing is they want to. Um, have more Cuban Americans involved. I think, you know, especially because of these new changes in the United States, uh, they want to encourage more travel on the part of Cuban Americans. So they're making it easier by, by if, essentially lowering the cost of getting a, a Cuban passport, which is required by many people who were, who were born in Cuba to return uh, to, uh, to Cuba, um, by, by allowing people who defected, in other words, left Cuba illegally, quote-unquote, uh, to be able to, to return immediately, or at least you know, beginning in January, as opposed to waiting the, uh, the customary uh, you know, eight, eight years. They're also allowing for Cuban Americans uh, to, to go to Cuba in pleasure boats. Uh, and for the moment, they're able, so long as they they're enter through two, uh, two ports, uh, in the future there will be additional ports. Um, and there's also, interestingly enough, uh, for, for, for the children of people born in Cuba, uh, born, let's say, in the United States, they're allowed to essentially obtain their Cuban citizenship without the the current requirement of a three-month uh, residency uh, in Cuba. So these, are, I think, are very positive changes. Great having you both with us. Thanks, Gustavo. John, as well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you both. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.